it's unrealistic to say we'll meet the 2030 target. Um, use of hydrocarbons is not a solution, it's not a sustainable solution. Considering the fact that Tanzania is a very vast country, the cost of distributing energy in terms of power lines is huge. Hello and welcome back to Africa Science Focus with me, Sally Amutabi. Over the next few weeks, we bring you something a little different. Through a special three-part series, Energizing Africa, we will investigate progress towards electricity, infrastructure and network access on the continent. The United Nations says that clean energy can power sustainable economic growth by improving access to knowledge, boosting health and well-being, and improving the lives of women and children. In our first episode of the series, reporter Michael Baruti investigates progress towards universal access to affordable, reliable and sustainable energy. Here in Sub-Saharan Africa, the number of people without access to electricity has been on the decline since 2013. According to a recent analysis by the International Energy Agency, an intergovernmental organization set up in the 1970s. But the agency predicts that disruption to investment and construction caused by the coronavirus pandemic will have set back this progress, pushing some countries farther away from achieving sustainable development goal number seven, universal access to electricity by 2030. The majority of the people living without reliable access to electricity today are in sub-Saharan Africa. And while the agency says that some countries are making good progress, such as Ethiopia and Rwanda, it is expected that by 2030, half of the world's population without access to electricity will be concentrated in just seven countries, six of which are in Africa, including my country Tanzania, Uganda and Nigeria. Few people that can afford in big cities to generators and other sources of energy such as solar panels. But for most of us, they are left with no alternative at all. Diana Mboga is the CEO of Millennium Engineers in Tanzania and she has worked closely with the International Energy Agency. I spoke with Diana to find out if the 2030 goal is achievable. Yes. Okay. So um, I know for a fact that you attended the uh, International Energy Agency meeting in Ethiopia in 2019. So from attending that meeting, do you think it is actually still possible for Africa to achieve 100% electricity access in 2030? I would say theoretically it can still be possible to achieve 100% electricity in 2030. But practically right now I would not, I'm not confident to say that. Um, and this comes with a lot of things. One of them is that before the pandemic we were looking into the three areas, um, availability, access and affordability but right now we are skills have tipped in terms of priority due to the global pandemic a lot of people have been forced to stay at home meaning access to electricity is now even more crucial and needed demand has risen in terms of household while we can see that industry industrial uh, demand has lowered due to lowering of economic activities around the, uh, the continent so even those that were linked to start along next year or this year 
have been postponed due to means of developing those projects, monitoring, funds release, and even most countries have now changed their focus into not focusing their finances in development of projects that link into access of electricity, or, or, but they've turned those into emergency relief funds for the global pandemic, in tackling the global pandemic. Off-grid power systems don't require a connection to centralized energy sources and they are becoming increasingly popular. But can they solve Africa's electricity crisis? Here is Michael again. I spoke to Christian Sariki, an outgoing country manager for Trend Solar Tanzania, a company that sells home solar systems to off-grid markets in Tanzania. And how about the use of off-grid system to supply energy in Tanzania and sub-Saharan Africa? Do you think it's actually sustainable? And is it what Tanzania needs as well right now? Yes, in Tanzania it's something that is needed. Considering the fact that Tanzania is a very vast country, the cost of distributing energy in terms of power lines is huge. Now, most of the off-grid households cannot afford the pricing for uh, the grid electricity, then it makes more sense to have off-grid solution cater for households that are very far from the production side. We produce our hydro. Christian champions solar energy as an off-grid power solution. This usually involves a system of panels that can harness the sun's energy and generate electricity in even the most remote locations. You find in most areas where we save, even in Dar es Salaam, which is one of the capital of the country, there are areas you just go, you find there's a power line, but a person to be able to connect might need three or five poles in order to get hooked up to the grid. Now, those are our customers. They just say, okay, for five years I've been waiting for the population density to increase in my area so that I can bring the power line close. You can't live without power waiting for people to come closer to, your, to the area where you have your house. So off-grid solutions sort of uh, takes care of that. Mm. And uh, do you think Tanzania and Sub-Saharan in particular will ever overcome this setback that we are facing now? Okay, so I think Tanzania will be able to overcome, but so many things need to come into play. Number one is the policy framework. Uh, there were some ambitious plans, but uh, unfortunately the government doesn't have funds to finance the rural electrification programs. Sometimes it's like a competition. There's areas where we literally stopped from exploiting the market three years back. Until now, they are still the market is still under not served. So that's another area. Um, another thing is uh, smart end user subsidies. Now this is in the talk and in the pipeline. Uh, the government works with different stakeholders to see how to incentivize households. Uh, especially the bottom of the uh, bottom of the pyramid, to be able to purchase these equipments that we are selling. Uh, also, there's other things like some countries, especially after the pandemic, has hit hard. Looked at solar and other renewable as essential service, so they designated it as essential service, 
which enables now the provider, I mean us, the, the private sector players, to be able to continue with our operation regardless of the uh, problems that we are facing in terms of revenue. Yeah, I believe things will get better. Um, I'm still optimistic because um, with the six-phase government right now, I see there's a lot of hopes in terms of uh, private sector engagement. Luckily, um, of lately, the government has sort of um, been more interested in seeing that businesses sort of come to the table and engage with the government. And I believe in our sector, in renewable energy sector, we'll have a chance to consult with the government and see how best we can scale up, which means uh, we can improve access um, uh, as expected. Although it's unrealistic to say we'll meet the 2030 target, but I think uh, we can make some strides if the government is sort of keen in ensuring that we uh, operate uh, at scale. Connection and accessibility are not the only challenges. In some sub-Saharan African countries, the cost of energy supplied by the national grid is prohibitively high for many households. Awad Milasi is the founder of the social enterprise Proactive Solar Palms Limited. He says that affordable renewable energy could provide even the most remote communities with the means to drive their economic and social development. I strongly believe that um, say improving a, a situation whereby uh, Sub-Saharan African can do away from energy poverty, it is a way for them to, you know, to start helping, you know, uh, these uh, small farmers or medium-sized farmers to start thinking of processing or start thinking of uh, energizing agriculture, you know, through improved agricultural methods or uh, value addition. So for me, I think strongly agriculture and uh, renewable energy or combination of the two are the most affordable ways or strategies to empower Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. I want to thank you because I feel like what you've just said also ends up answering my third question, which is the advantages of using renewable energy. Is there anything else you'd like to add that uh, we haven't touched in this short period of time that we've talked? Well, um, for me, I would want to say that time flies. Um, for example, uh, I, I, I think the reason why you've asked, you've asked questions around 2030 is because um, maybe you want to see the link between um, access to energy and achievements of uh, sustainable development goals. Um, I know for sure, um, uh, say, achieving uh, sustainable energy uh, uh, by 2030 is one of the sustainable development goals. For me, I feel like it is one that supports almost all, all of the other um, goals because if you achieve um, sustainable energy, then you can, you can power agriculture, you can power access to, to health, you can power education, you can power water, access to water, uh, you can power um, say um, exploration you can power a lot of things so for me i feel this is one area that can really help africa get out of poverty uh, start their own uh, uh, say 
uh, heavy manufacturing and and uh, and uh, industrial so for me i feel like this is one very important area that governments can look at and we can empower communities uh, businesses and uh, and uh, uh, our countries in general Awad Milasi concluding today's report on electricity access in sub-Saharan Africa. And we will be looking more closely at major infrastructure projects next week in the second episode of our Energizing Africa mini-series. Before we go, it's time to hand the show over to you with our question and answer segment. This week, we hear from Samson Magombo. Hey Africa, science focus. I'm Samson Gombo and a student at Henry Henderson Institute in Blantyre. My question is, what caused the mutation of the coronavirus? Thank you. For viruses, mutation is a natural phenomenon and a defense or protective or evasive tactic of the virus to counter or overcome our body's immune system. Some viruses mutate a lot, others are more stable. But it's not all mutations that are advantageous to the virus. Some have no effect, others can even lead to the extinction of the virus. While a mutation may also render the virus more invasive and or more virulent or pathogenic. So mutation is a way is a survival gamble by the virus. That question on coronavirus mutations came from Samson Magombo and was answered by our virology expert, Professor Oyewale Tomori from Redeemers University in Nigeria. If you have a science or technology question, get in touch with us directly, send a voice or text message via WhatsApp to plus 254-799-042-513 and you too could be featured on Africa Science Focus. For more episodes, go to www.sidev.net or subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lois. The editors were Fiona Broom and Jackie Oparafatoye with reporting from Michael Baruti. Africa Science Focus is a side of net production created in association with your local radio station. I'm Sally Amutabi. See you next week. This program was funded by the European Journalism Center through the European Development Journalism Grant Program with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.